We are absolutely blessed by having so many veterans that are a part of our church family. It's just a, a major blessing. Chapter 10 of Acts. I have two points today. That's it. Been thinking a lot about it this week. The man and the plan, that's it. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 10 of Acts. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, about the ninth hour, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to to Joppa. When is good, being good, not good enough? I guess of all the questions that are asked of me, you know, that's one that team, it comes up a lot. People will say, well, there was a good man. He, she was a good woman. They did all of these wonderful things. We saw where Tabitha or Dorcas had passed on and, and all of the widows surrounding her had held up the, the very clothes that she had made for distribution. And so... When is being good not good enough? Is it ever not good enough? That's the question. Well, I want you to take, go back some 2,000 years with me and let's look at Cornelius. Cornelius was a man, the Bible says, was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. He was a military man. Cornelius was a man who had seen a lot of things in his life. He had seen the Roman war machine at its best and probably at its worst as well. He had seen death, disability, destruction. He had seen the enslavement of people that they captured. He had, I'm sure, been in the back rooms of the political shenanigans from the Roman government, he had seen their political machinery in its corrupt fashion as well. Cornelius, he had been around, he was raised in this environment where the Roman citizens had this pantheon of God that they worshipped. The Romans and the Greeks all had gods for everything. You name it, they had a god for it. And they worshiped these gods. And they worshiped them in the most uh, heathen way possible. So he saw their lack of reverence. But you know, Cornelius, like all of us, had been given an empty hole in his heart that could only be filled with Jesus Christ. 
So he knew that all of the things that he pursued from the time that he was a small child up to the present time left him empty. And he saw the religious fervor of the Jews and he believed their God is the only God and I'm going to serve him. Cornelius was in Caesarea, the Bible says, with his family and his servants. He was a centurion, which meant that he was in charge of at least a hundred men. He was an officer, obviously, one that was entrusted by, by Rome itself to lead these men into battle. And yet, his family and his friends and his servants and even the Jewish community honored him for his, his truthfulness, his integrity, the fact that he was a good man, he gave alms to the poor, he prayed continuously, and he was a God-fearer. Wow, a God-fearer, man who was moral and upright and a generous man, but not saved. Look at verse 22. When his contingency that he sent to, to bring Peter back came to Peter, they replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and a God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. He was revered by all of those, Gentile and Jews alike. He was a God-fearer. You know, a God-fearer was as close as you could be to being a Jew without being a Jew. A God-fearer was not a proselyte. A God-fearer was a person who embraced the Jewish faith and embraced the fact that they believed that Yahweh was the only true God. But the problem with it is, the proselytes, if you wanted to become a proselyte and be converted to Judaism, uh, the men had to undergo three things. They had to undergo circumcision, they had to be baptized, and they had to bring a sacrifice to the temple. As a God-fearer, those who had not fully converted to Judaism, they were put into the court of the Gentiles. They were not allowed to intermingle with Jewish men. They were not allowed to go into their courtyard or, or into their area where they were studying the Word of God. They were not allowed to enter into Jewish homes. Jewish people were not allowed to enter into Gentile homes as well. God-fearer. He was not permitted to offer sacrifices in the temple because of his status. And yet, his prayers and his gifts to the poor became his offering. The angel said, Cornelius, your prayers have, and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And the Bible says he prayed continuously. He prayed. He gave generously. But you know what? The scriptures report that even his integrity and his generous gifts and his religious nature were not good enough for him to be saved. How do we know that? Well, glad you asked. Chapter 11, 
verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So in his prayer, evidently, he understood that being good is not good enough. There are so many people in our country in this, as religionists would tab our post-Christian era, who believe that if I ju- all roads lead to heaven, if I do any number of good works, surely God will put it on the, on the balance and, and everything will be okay. Maybe you know, the, the Hindus and the Islamic people feel that, that they have no idea whether or not they're saved until they enter into heaven. And God will look at the ledger and say, your good works outweigh your bad, you're good to go, put that stamp on it, and they're there. Unfortunately, they don't realize without Jesus Christ, they will be given transfer slips. And here's the thing. So many people believe that, that they're a good man, a good woman, is all that needs to be. And then we think maybe God grades on a caters. I've got to be better. My, my neighbor cusses. I don't even cuss. And they don't go to church, but maybe once a week, they go one hour on Sunday morning. Big whoop. Look at me. I'm in Bible studies. I go to work. Man, God, I am right on. You know, and we think that. We think that all these good things I give of my tithe to the church, I give beyond the tithe to the church, I give, I do all of these good things. I'm constantly there. Pastor needs something, I'm there. He can do it. And we think that it's, it's our goodness that's going to trump our badness and allow us to enter into the gates of heaven. Now, Cornelius knew that was wrong. In his prayer, obviously, he had been asking the Lord, what must I do to be saved? And God responded to him, I'm going to send a man, Peter. I'm going to show you exactly what it takes to be saved, what it takes to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, throughout the world, there are so many different religions. Mary Jo and I had the joy of talking to people who live in other parts of the world and who are in charge of their mission efforts in those regions, whether it's Southeast Asia or India or whatever the case might be. Wow. And they're talking. They have, we, we have seen where Buddhist priests are led to the Lord. How does that happen? We have seen where shamans are led to the Lord. We have seen where witch doctors have turned it over to the Lord. Why? Because they've come to realize that Jesus Christ did not die on the cross to give us a religion. Amen. He died on the cross to give us a relationship. Now, if you're listening to this online, you need to understand that there's nothing that you can do that's going to qualify you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Cornelius knew that. He came to that realization. So you and I have been told by the Scriptures that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in His sight. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray, turn everyone to His own way. 
But what's the solution? The Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Wow. So Cornelius, I'm sure, was trying to commiserate with the family. We do all these things. We're trying to do all these things. And yet, it's to no avail. Well, the plan. Cornelius calls for Peter. Send for Peter. Why Peter? Why didn't the angel just tell him? Why didn't God just tell him personally in his prayer? Why didn't that happen? I mean, I keep thinking if I was God, I would have just sent a message right then and there. Cornelius is looking for salvation. Let it happen. Why didn't he do that? Because he has chosen in his plan as God, the creator of the universe, the creator of you, the creator of you and me, to use people to perform his works. When Jesus left the face of this earth, he didn't say to them, if you'd like to do these things, I'd, I'd appreciate it. I've got plan B if you, if you are not faithful to me, if you're not obedient to what I'm asking you, I can do it some other way. He didn't tell them that. He said there's one plan and it's plan A. There is no B, C, or D. Go ye therefore. All power in heaven and earth has been given unto me, he said, prior to his ascension into heaven. And as you're going, proclaim this gospel, preach this gospel, this good news, and teach everyone to observe everything that I've told you. By the way, I'm with you every step of the way, Jesus said, even to the end of this age. Every step of the way. I'm not going to leave you. I won't forsake you. And yet, theologians will tell you that this particular instance may have occurred as late as 8 to 10 years after Pentecost. And you want to say, what? What was Peter doing in all that time? And why did they send for Peter? Here's the plan. Glad you asked. Peter was in charge of the church at Jerusalem. Did a great job in Jerusalem. He was after the Jews. He understood, this is my ministry. This is my message. This is my method. I'm going to minister to these synagogues in the Jerusalem area and its environs. He and John went out to join Philip in some of the Samaritan villages. I mean, that's okay because they're half-blooded Jews anyway. They've got some mixed blood in them. They've got some Jewish heritage. It's all right. But Gentiles, now that's another thing. Non-Jews, that's another thing. You see, what had happened and what Peter had bought into was that when you go back to the original covenant that God made with Abraham, one of the, the first covenant father, there was Isaac and Jacob. You had three covenant fathers. God repeated his covenant to all three covenant fathers. Old covenant, or the Old Testament, if you will. And God told Abraham in Genesis 12, first three verses, that I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And you're going to be a light to the world. The world. He didn't call the Jews to be some kind of an elite religious gathering of people in a small little corner of the, of the Mediterranean Sea to, to be some kind of, of privileged religious characters. He called them for one purpose, and that's to send His love, His grace, His message 
to the entire world. What does Isaiah say to the nation of Israel in Isaiah 49, verse uh, 6? He says, I have called you to be a light, a light to the nations. Not just to the Jewish population, but to the nations. And so Peter had bought into that. And he's ministering right only to the Jewish people. You and I do the same thing in our own neighborhoods. We go to like-minded people. They got to be our political persuasion. They got to like our food. They got to like our entertainment. They, they worship where we worship. Other than that, don't know any of them. <laughs> and so, here was Peter. The angel said, go find Peter. Why? Because Peter is going to start ministering to Gentiles, to non-Jews. It took him that long to get this message. He's going to start ministering. You see, when Jesus, we see Jesus' words prior to his ascension in Acts 1.8. Tear ye in Jerusalem until you have been empowered with power from on high. The Holy Spirit's going to come unto you. And when that happens, you're going to be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. Peter said, I got that. Judea. Judea was the Roman province, and the capital of Judea was Caesarea, where Cornelius lived. So, the angel is basically saying to Cornelius as well as Peter, the Lord saying to him, you got this Jerusalem thing down now. Now you need to expand your horizons. Judea's next. You've been to Samaria. That was good. You're going to Judea. And then you're going to the uttermost parts of the earth, Peter. I'll send you there. So Caesarea is 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem, 30 miles north of Joppa. It's the Roman capital of Judea. It boasted many beautiful public buildings. And here is Peter. He had been faithful to Samaria in the villages. In the 8th chapter of Acts, we see where that's recorded. Then he went to Lydda and Joppa, feeling pretty smug about himself. But now he's going to a place where he's reluctant to accept this invitation. We're going to see that next week. The Jews were not even allowed to enter the house of a Gentile. The Gentiles were not allowed to enter the house of Jews. Jews felt that it would desecrate their domiciles. So here's Peter. Here's the plan. Now, this is what I want to leave with you today. Next week, we're going to talk about God's agenda. But today, I want to ask you, who is that person that God has laid on your heart? God chooses to use us to do His bidding. He chooses to use humans to carry this good news, this gospel, into all the world. So who is God laying on your heart? Uh, you know, first pastor out of seminary, I never will forget it. A retired Salvation Army lady told me, and I've mentioned this before, but it has stuck with this fella. She told me that she'd call me up at the, some of the most interesting times. And she said, God has instructed me over the years that when he puts a person's face or name in my mind, I'm either going to call them, I'm going to visit them, I'm going to write them a note. And of course, now we have texting and emails and all this other stuff. So there's no excuse. 
So who has God laid on your heart? And who is God commissioning you to go see, to talk? And I know what you're thinking. So many people over the years have come to me and said, you know what, Pastor? God has laid this person on my heart, and I think you ought to go see them. And I'll just smile. No, I don't think so. I'll go with you. But God has laid that person on your heart for a purpose. God is commissioning you to go see that particular person. You're in certain circles of relationships that I'm not a member of. And you have people that come see you that I don't know. And so God is laying people on your heart. Maybe they're family members. They may be in your immediate family or your extended family. They may be friends. They may be neighbors. They may be any number of people that God has laid on your heart. He's commissioning you to go. And I'm going to challenge you this week. As God lays people on your heart, text them, email them, call them by phone, Walk over if they're close by and see them. Knock on their door. Take them something to drink or whatever. Uh, Invite them out. Do something. If God has put that person on your heart, He's going to hold you accountable for that commissioning. God's going to hold Peter accountable. Now God's preparing Cornelius. Next week we're going to see how He prepares Peter and how He prepares you and I for the task at hand. Wow. Who has God laid on your heart? Who has God laid on your heart? The interesting thing here is, as we were talking to some of these uh, people from other countries, with Cornelius, we are seeing in the Muslim areas and, and beyond, God appearing to them. Jesus is appearing to them in visions, in dreams. There have been stories by these who have said that God has appeared to them and told them that someone was going to come and tell them about Jesus. And sometimes these people that go and Jesus are met with the response, what took you so long? I've been waiting. God's already preparing Cornelius' heart to receive Peter and God's about to prepare Peter's heart to go to a place that he never thought he would ever go. God's preparing your heart. Who has he put on it? What name? And now I'm going to ask you something else. You say, well, the Lord had not put anybody on my heart lately. Do this. Begin to pray. Be careful. Begin to pray. Lord, who do you want me to talk to? And when you do, have a pad because there may be more than But if you really want to be commissioned, step up to the chief, commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. Report for service, report for duty, and ask Him, what are my orders? Who do you want me to go see? Who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to share this vision with? Do you know him? 
Now, maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and this just seems so alien to you. Remember, you'll never be good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says it is by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not of your works. It's not of religious activity. It's not the number of times you go to a worship service or the number of times you pray during the day. Those are all acts of religion. It's all about receiving Jesus Christ in faith. And that's why it's called grace. You and I don't deserve it. But God gives it to us. For we are created in Christ Jesus under good works. That comes later. But to know God is, can only be had by knowing His only Son, Jesus. To know His Son, Jesus, is to receive Him into your heart. Maybe you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never followed Him in public profession of faith or baptism by immersion. This is an opportunity for you to indicate that this is what you'd like to do. I'll be here after the service or home or in the office during the week. You can call me. Either way, that's comfortable for you. And then finally, for all of us, those who are looking for a church home, you're looking for a church family. We want to honor and glorify Jesus Christ here. And if you're interested in that, we'd love to have you join us. If you're interested in just walking with us and seeing what this Christian life is all about, we'd love to have you come join us in our effort to serve Him. And for all of us, it's a time of rededication. Would you stand with me as we have a word of prayer? Our most gracious Father, you commissioned Peter to tell Cornelius. You prepared Cornelius. You prepared his family. You prepared the soldiers around him. Lord Jesus, I just pray today that you will prepare the hearts of those that you're going to send us to. Prepare the soil for the seed. And Lord, prepare the sower to sow the seed. Lord, let each and every one of us begin to pray fervently for people to whom you're going to send us. And thank you. It's a very simple thing. Lord, you've got the plan. And we want to be the one that you send. Lord, we don't want to slough it off for somebody else. We don't want to deny this responsibility, this privilege. We want to see some people come to know you or be brought closer to you as a result of our faithfulness. Thank you. Thank you for these to whom you're sending us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless and keep you. Have a great week in the Lord, and I look forward to seeing you in the days ahead.